Um, we're going to carry on in, in, the, in the series that we've been uh, looking at, just sort of really getting into the new year, thinking about this re- wonderful relationship that we've been called into with our Heavenly Father through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got this relationship, but there, there are parts of this relationship that we can, we can miss out on or forget, or they just, uh, they're in the background. And so we've been looking under this title of Forgotten Arts. And uh, we looked at rest, we looked at the sovereignty of God, we talked about discovering how to hear the voice of God. How do we, how do we hear when, when God is speaking? We've been looking at that. We've looked at, at prayer, um, we're going to look at reverence another day, we're going to look at the whole thing of reverence and awe, we're going to look at scripture and how, how do we commit scripture to heart? How do we get the wonderful word of God into our heart? So that's another thing. We're going to be looking at today. Uh, you'll be all be very pleased to hear. We're going to look at the subject of fasting, <laughs> but it really is a, I think, a forgotten art. Although, if you're up with social media and if you're up with certain elements of the health health area of social media, fasting is actually uh, all the rage at the moment. It's a big thing. It's coming up a lot. Um, but not for the reasons that necessarily we're going to talk about. Um, but it is interesting. People, lots of people are talking about fasting. But to start that, to kick us off, I want to look uh, just for a few minutes. I want to give you a quick outline and then read some verses from Esther. I love the book of Esther, not least of which I've already got three daughters. So I'm not, we're not going to be having any more either. So that, but if I had another daughter, I'd love to call her Hadassah. That's the name of a Hebrew name of Esther, because then I could call her Hadi, and I love the name Hadi. I used to know a, used to know a little girl called Hadi, and uh, I always thought, oh, that would be a great name. But in those days, to give your child the name Hadassah felt like, uh, but nowadays it would be fine, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be a problem. Esther, Esther's a beautiful, beautiful story. Yes, most famously, it's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God. We know that. But it's an amazing story, and I believe it's a very godly story. I believe it's a very God-given story. story of a, a beautiful, godly young woman who was a Jewish orphan. She and her people had been taken into exile by the pagan empire of the Medes and Persians. And because she was an orphan, Esther was brought up by a, a much older cousin, a man called uh, Mordecai. He's a sort of a single step-parent, if you like, although I'm sure it would have been part of the family. She'd have been in his family grouping. But in the midst of all this, you could say quite a lot of tragedy, quite a lot of difficulty. In the midst of all this, God is at work. Through an incredible set of circumstances, Esther ends up as Emperor Xerxes' number one wife. She becomes Queen Esther. However, God's grace in calling her and raising her up to be queen had a much bigger purpose than to wear some very expensive perfume, which she did, and eat some very, uh, very nice food, which she also did. How many of you, if you're getting ready to sort of be married to your, your husband, would spend every single day being bathed in special herbs and spices and being attended to by a bunch of attendants for a year. For a year. 
Imagine the amount of perfume that would get soaked into your skin over that year. Incredible. Anyway, but it wasn't just for that reason that she got to have this life of incredible luxury. There was a man high up in the king's court, a man called uh, Haman. And he and, uh, I can't go into all the story now, but he and Mordecai didn't get on uh, at all. And so this man, because he was high up in the court of the king, he managed to arrange for a decree to be issued that all the Jews who'd been taken into exile would be killed. They would all be, they would all be killed. But Mordecai, Esther's older cousin, step-parent, believed that Esther was the only person who could do anything about it. And so he said to her, he sent a message to her to go into this despotic king Xerxes, because he really was, he, he, he was utterly in control. You couldn't go into, even into his presence on pain of death unless he wanted you to be there, unless he invited you there, or you touched the, the tip of his special scepter, his kingly scepter. That was the only way. If, you, if he even saw you, you were dead. That's the kind of man he was. And Mordecai says to Esther, go in and talk to him. And, and, you know, and cry to him for your people. She said, I can't possibly do that. I can't possibly do that. I can't speak to him on pain of death. And then comes, of course, the very famous verses that often get quoted. But I just want to read them in a little context. Esther chapter 4, verse 12. When Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai. You know, she said, I can't possibly do this. This was his answer. He sent back an answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And here's the famous line, who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, and even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We just thank you for the glorious truths that are in it. I just pray today, would you speak to us about this significant area of laying aside distractions of all sorts and just coming to you, depending upon you, leaning upon you. Teach us today from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to look at the subject of fasting but before I do, I want to just say a couple of things about this story of Esther, because I, it gives us a context. See, I, I believe this story is given to us by God. Yes, famously, it doesn't mention God's name. But I believe that the picture of Esther, and many have understood this over the years, is a picture from God of us, the church, as the bride of Christ. It's a picture of the bride of Christ. We were despised. Hopeless orphans, outsiders, no rights at all. 
But by the grace of God, we have been chosen. We've been picked out. If you read the first two or three chapters, it's, it's a lovely little book. It doesn't take long to read. It's a beautiful story of how she's picked out. Literally, she's chosen. And the people of God have been picked out. We've been chosen. I've lost my place. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, yes, raised up to be spiritual royalty. We've been raised up. We were no, once we were not the people, now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, now we had received mercy. Peter says that, doesn't he? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We've been made children of God, joint heirs with Christ. Hebrews 10 tells us that through his life and death that we've just celebrated through communion, Jesus made a new and living way. We couldn't go in for pain of death. We were under the judgment, the righteous judgment of God. If we went into God's presence, we were dead. But Jesus made a way through his body that we've just celebrated. And we have access, but not just access to linger around in the courts and in the shadows. Ephesians 2, 6, we are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. It's just amazing. We're seated with Christ. Not only do we get to go into the court uh, and survive, we get to go and sit down next to him and be with him, fellowship with him. Somebody get excited. (laughs) And because of this, we can boldly enter with confidence. Okay, We can boldly enter with confidence into the presence of Almighty God. It's an incredible position that we have. We forget, we forget so often the position that is ours through Christ to come into God's presence, to be before him. But just like Esther, it is so much more than simply our blessing and well-being. So it's not just a case of entering so that we get to feel good, that we get to know that we've got an eternal hope but there's something more. We get actually, we get to, to co-work with him, to be co-laborers with him. It's not just a place of, of blessing. Our royal position that we have enables us. We, we actually are here for such a time as this. We're actually, you are alive today for a reason. You've been called for a reason. You're here today for such a time as this. You see, like Esther, we are living among a people who are heading for destruction. In fact, they're our people. They're our colleagues. They're our neighbours. They're our children. They're our, our family, our friends. We were in the same position, heading for destruction. The church of Jesus Christ, in all its forms and all its parts, we are the ones who hold the keys to hope and deliverance through the person of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who hold the keys to hope and deliverance to those around us. It's not a message about ourselves. It's not about come to us. But it actually, it's let us show you our saviour. Let us display our saviour to you. Now, some of you are doing that in the workplace. Some of you are doing that in schools, in the health uh, area, uh, You're doing it in your neighbourhoods in all sorts of ways. 
But we need to understand that is what we're doing. And we have this precious, precious gift that's been given to us. Now, our God is great and our God is merciful. And we thank God for his mercy and for his grace. We have one who longs to deliver men and women from destruction. He longs to. He's much more committed to it than we are. But we have also been commissioned to play our part with him. We have a calling to be agents of hope and deliverance in our time. The question is, do we, will we, can we respond to that call? So I believe there's a calling on us to be an Esther people. To be an Esther people. That you and I, indeed all believers, have a royal position. We're seated with Jesus in heavenly places and we are here for such a time as this. You say, what's the answer to our nation? What's the answer to all that's going on? You are in the person of Jesus Christ, as he goes with you, wherever he goes. Jesus is the answer through you. And this royal position enables us to come to our king, to come to our king for supply, for resource, but also to cry to him that he might move in our situation, whatever it might be in those areas that we were praying for even earlier. Even if, but it's going to, let me just jump back, it's going to require courage. It's challenging. It will require us to go against the flow of our culture. Um, Esther 4.16, even though it's against the law, she was prepared to go in. She was prepared to do it. We will have to be brave. We will have to be bold. There's no doubt about that. But God is on our side. Jesus is with us. The Spirit is with us. And through Jesus, we have this access into the very throne room of God. Seen at the beginning of chapter 5, if we had time to read it, Esther goes in. She goes into the king's presence and brings this passionate request on behalf of her people. It's a powerful picture of prayer. It's a powerful picture of prayer. And the prayer is answered. And the people are delivered. And not only is she blessed even more uh, with with riches, uh, Mordecai, her cousin, is also blessed and becomes one of the most senior rulers in the whole of the nation. Prayer is an amazing privilege for Christians, entering into the Holy of Holies to ask. To ask. We were talking about that last week. If you weren't able to be here, we were talking about that. But what I want to do for the rest of our time is to note that Esther did this off the back of a context of fasting. Remember the words? She sent to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. What is fasting? At its most basic It is to voluntarily abstain from something or stop something that you are very dependent upon. Okay? What are you most dependent on? What's the thing you are most dependent on? Well, this is the thing you're most dependent on right here. Okay? Water. What's the second thing you're most dependent on? Chocolate. (laughs) 
Some sort of foods. Yeah. When push comes to shove, those dear, dear brothers and sisters in Burundi, who, by the way, under their shack, as part of celebrating their harvest yesterday, decided to take a spontaneous offering as part of their worship. These are people without anything. And they took a spontaneous offering. It's the most astonishing. I was almost in tears. I was right. Donna sent a little clip to a few of us yesterday. Literally out of what, where they were, and, they, and something like $20, was it? I think it said $20. Which, in that context, when this is a very high commodity and food in your mouth is sometimes non-existent. Something, abstaining from something or to stop something that you are very dependent on. Often, usually, food or drink. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Okay? It can be other things. Mordecai and Esther and all her people, it was to not eat or drink for three days or nights. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a moment. Don't, nobody panic, all right? It's just some reasons for fasting. There are different reasons why people fast. As I said, it's very much in the news. It's on social media quite a lot at the moment. So it might be for health reasons. It might be related to fitness or other personal disciplines. But for many, uh, all over the world, the reason will be spiritual. And certainly for Christians, because Christians are not the only ones who would fast spiritually. Um, many many uh, uh, religions uh, have fasting as part of their, their practice, if you like. Certainly for Christians, it will almost certainly be related to prayer and their relationship to God. Along with the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, which is the Word of God... Prayer and fasting are the greatest weapons that God has given to his church. The word, prayer and fasting, they really are the weapons that God has given us. You can do one without the other. You can pray and not fast. You can fast and not perhaps be particularly praying, but very often they go together. Now, let me give you a couple of helpful statements, because I think these things are helpful Fasting requires self-control and discipline. Uh-oh, there comes the tricky bit, all right? Fasting requires self-control and discipline as one denies the natural desires of the flesh. During spiritual fasting, the believer's focus is removed from physical things of this world and intensely concentrated on God. Great little phrase, isn't it? Here's another one. Fasting directs our hunger towards God. Just read that again. Fasting directs our hunger towards God. Clears the mind and body of earthly attention and draws us closer to God. So as we gain spiritual clarity of thought while fasting, it allows us to hear God's voice more clearly. Fasting also demonstrates a profound need of God's help and guidance through complete dependence on him. I just highlighted there two key elements that I think are a part of fasting. Firstly, putting down everything, even food, in order to come closer to God. We are very aware, aren't we, all of us, of the things that stop us from coming closer to God. And we have an enemy who wants to put all sorts of things in front of us to distract us from coming closer to God. 
The other element, of course, is to demonstrate through our action that we are completely dependent upon him. Going to have to be careful not to go off onto too many stories, but I know for myself, I'll, I'll talk a bit about my own personal experience of fasting, but I know that if I, I, as I begin to get the hunger pangs and those kinds of things, I'm coming and I, I consciously begin to voice and say, Lord, you meet my every need. You're the one who meets my need. You're my provider. You supply. Which, of course, if we had time, it's such a huge subject. So we could have taken Jesus 40 days in the desert. But essentially, that's what Jesus is saying, isn't he? As the devil is tempting him and coming against him, uh, Jesus is saying, no, there is something that is beyond me. It's beyond the immediate. It's my relationship with the Father. It's the Word of God. It's the life in the Spirit. There is, as, as, as the disciples said to him one day, you, you haven't eaten. He said, you've got food that, uh, you, I, I've got food that you don't know about. And then they turned to each other and said, where did he get the food from? <laughs> they, they, weren't, they weren't catching it. No, there's something beyond. There's something. It's, it's, a, it's a demonstration that I'm depending upon him. Now, these can be times of intense personal prayer. They don't have to be massively intense, but they can be intense times of personal prayer. They may involve repentance. They may well involve surrender, a laying down, a reordering. They may involve worship, seeking the face of God. The thing I know that very often and I'm sure there will be testimonies in this room, times of fasting are very significant times in the life of a believer. It may also be related to a special moment or a particular challenge, like with, with Esther. You need to come to God for something very specific, for help, for guidance, for, for wisdom, and so on. So they can be very specific times, pursuing God. I just want to say this, that... For me, some of the most significant decisions that I have made in my life have been in the context of prayer and fasting. Whether that was related to selling the only property that we had as a young married couple and putting ourselves through Bible college, God saying, trust me, upping sticks with two very young children, moving across the country, to be part of a new church plant without any real security in that moment uh, of work or housing, God spoke very clearly during times of prayer and fasting. In fact, God has spoken to me very specifically numbers of times when I have been fasting over the years. So much so, New Frontiers uh, used to regularly, two, three times a year, would have two days at least of prayer and fasting. And Jackie used to get really very nervous because what was God going to say now? What were we going to go next? <laughs> what was going to happen? Oh no, he's going to fast again. God's going to speak. But that was how you felt, wasn't it? You used to say that, yeah. It's true. Certainly, in major changes in the life of churches that I've been involved in, there's been very significant changes perhaps in senior leadership or to do with substantial building projects or a change in the vision, a change of name, those kinds of things. They've always been in a context of both corporate and personal prayer 
and often have included different levels of fasting. Now, I'll come to levels of fasting in a moment. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the verses in Acts chapter 13, where it says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I'd love us as a church to maybe rediscover or perhaps discover for the first time the power of fasting. Something I'm going to be mentioning much more regularly. When we have our our monthly prayer meeting on a Monday night, I'd like to suggest that we begin to think about fasting. Now, I'll talk about some practicalities at the moment. Our three nights of prayer, uh, at the beginning of each term, let's think about fasting as part of that. I'd like to build that in to the life of the church, okay? Some people are bracing themselves, but that, that's all right. I'm going to go to some more, even more practical in a moment. I think it's important, so important, and it's something that gets forgotten, but it's very significant. There's so much through Scripture, I, I just picked out some nuggets, but it's right the way through Scripture. So while they were worshipping the Lord and the fasting, the Holy Spirit said. We want the Spirit to speak, don't we? We want to hear the Holy Spirit. Well, in the New Testament, they fasted, they prayed. Acts 14, 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders. So here they are now on their travels. They're going from church to church. They appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Mission Church planting, church growth in the early church, in the New Testament, was in the context of prayer and fasting. Healing and deliverance might well also have been a reason to fast. Just value your prayers on Friday and Saturday. uh, Myself, Les and Susan are going across to Richie's church. Uh, One of our fathers in the faith, Dave Devonish, is going to be speaking for two days on healing and deliverance. We think that's really significant and we want to invest time and to go to that. So do pray for us on Friday and Saturday this this week. But healing and deliverance might well also have been a reason to fast. You're reminded of the story in Luke chapter 9. You remember the man who brought his son to be healed. Uh, His son was possessed by a spirit that robbed him of the ability uh, even to speak. Whenever it seized him, it would throw him to the ground. And the man asked the disciples to drive out the spirit. You remember the story? But they couldn't do it. Jesus comes along. He commands the spirit to come out. And the boy is healed. A bit later, Jesus' disciples come to him privately and ask him why they couldn't drive out the demon. Jesus said, This kind can only come out by prayer. You think, I'm sure they were praying, Lord. (laughs) There's something there in that word. There's something there in the understanding. There's more than, there's a more than. There's a seriousness, there's an intention. And of course, many of you will know the footnote says, some manuscripts say they're prayer and fasting. There was a level of authority that Jesus was moving in that he wanted his disciples to understand. So, there's a dependence upon God. There's a turning away from other things and coming to God. There's a display of our dependence. It also displays and underlines a sense of urgency about what God is putting in our hearts. A seriousness. I'm taking this seriously. I'm thinking about this. I'm giving time. I'm putting everything else aside and I'm giving time. 
Esther understood this somehow. Yes, we, we recognize that it's, it's, there is not this, as we can see it, there's an understanding of their faith. Uh, God is not mentioned there, but there's an understanding of their faith. And so our response is fast. We need to take this seriously. If I'm going to do this, now there's a courage there as well. Well, if I die, I die, but fast. Let's fast first. Let's put this first. And I think this can get lost. It's like we go wading in. It's like, no, let's just stop a minute. Let's put everything else aside. Let's fast and pray. Displays and underlines a sense of urgency about what God is putting in our hearts. We're longing to see salvation. We're longing to see people set free. We're longing to see revival come. Let's pray and fast. Let's put all else aside that we might take hold of what God has promised. However, at the same time, I believe it's important to say a couple of things. That fasting is not. Okay? Fasting is not a way to earn brownie points with God. Look at me. I've done some fasting. Yeah, yeah, I'm God's friend. It's not a way to twist God's arm. Look, God, if I'll give up Facebook for the morning, then this afternoon, you know, I pray that my meeting will go well. Or something far more serious, you know. Fasting is not about twisting God's arm. Important for us to hear that. I think it is a display of our dependence, absolutely. I think it is a display of seriousness. But we're not in the business of twisting God's arm. Ashley wonderfully gave us a sermon uh, a couple of weeks ago on the sovereignty of God. We believe our God is sovereign. He is working his purposes out. We never will fully understand or grasp the mystery of how prayer and fasting seems to bring about change. And there is a huge subject there, but God is looking for a people who are committed, who are dependent, who are crying out to him, and he comes in on the back of that and he works. He absolutely does. But we're not twisting God's arm. The third thing is it's not a way to demonstrate how holy you are to other people. Of course, I fast twice a month, you know. I'm quite a holy chap, really. In fact, Matthew 6, 16, Jesus says quite the reverse, doesn't he? When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. They're walking down the road, you know, with sort of ash on their face. They're looking, oh, I've been off Facebook for two hours. It's really hard work. (laughs) Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They've already got. Anything that they thought they might get. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, it's not for show. It's not for display to others. It's to come close to God. And to declare and to display to him our dependence upon him. That doesn't mean that we can't announce a day of fasting in the church and and lots of people will be involved in that. It's not secret like that. But the the sense is that we are, this is to God, not to one another. Okay? So even if we do fast, when we get together, we're not just immediately all talking about how much we miss food all day long. 
Okay? We're saying, come on, let's worship God together. Let's come to go together to worship Him. Let's focus on Him, not on our grumbling tummies. Are you with me? Do you understand? It's also worth noticing here that Jesus said, when. You see that? When you fast. Jesus said, when you fast. He's fully expecting that it would be part of the life of those he's teaching in Matthew. When you fast. Jesus is expecting it to be part of their, their walk, their spiritual disciplines. As I say, that if we had time, we, we could just do scripture after scripture right through the Old and New Testament it's full of fasting. Now, yes, we're, we're under grace. We're New Testament uh, Christians. We're not under law. But at the same time, making a choice, a deliberate decision to fast is this demonstration and a display of our obedience to God and to his word. And even if there was nothing else, Jesus saying there, when you fast, that's enough for us to know Jesus was expecting that fasting would be part of their lives. Okay, It's an act of humility. It's important to remember that by humbling ourselves before God through fasting, our first desire is to seek his face, not his hand. Can you hear that, please? Humbling ourselves before God through fasting, our first desire is to seek his face, not his hand. It's not firstly about my demands. It's about his glory. It's about his presence. It's becoming weak that I might display my dependence so that his grace and his power might be displayed in my life. I also believe fasting is a significant weapon in overcoming temptation. Temptation in areas that keep us moving on from God's. Important to say that fasting will have no benefit unless you're prepared to deal with sin. I know that there have been times when you think, oh, I've got this battle, this struggle, I'll do some fasting in the hope that you know, I can overcome it, it might go away, but actually I'm not prepared to surrender that situation to God. Fasting is an important part of overcoming temptation, but I've also got to be prepared to seek forgiveness and turn Repent. As we give undivided attention to God in this way, we allow hidden weaknesses to come to the surface, which the Holy Spirit then will help us to deal with through the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ and, of course, the good help of others around us. So, there are many reasons not to forget the spiritual discipline of fasting. I just want to get even more practical for a moment. Is this okay? Is this helpful? Is this helpful? Okay. So just being practical for a moment, there are a number of different kinds of fasts. By the way, all the time at the moment, I'm still talking about food, right? I want to make that the priority, but I'll come to one or two other things in a moment. The most extreme, of course, is a complete fast. No food or drink. I just want to say that should be for a maximum of three days. I suggest it might be a very challenging place to start. And I think with all of these things, we need to have a bit of a a definite medical awareness. All right? 
Uh, if you suddenly go out of here today and say, I'm not going to eat or drink for three days, uh, could you just talk to your doctor first before you do that and at least tell someone else that is uh, respected and reliable around you? Okay, it's important. Um, but like Esther, you may find yourself in a moment of desperation. You say, I, this, I'm taking this absolutely seriously. I'm putting myself upon God. Nothing else is a priority other than seeking the face of God. Okay? might be a challenge to start in that place, but that, that is there. Perhaps something that would be a bit more normal would be to stop eating food for some period of time. But to continue regular intakes of water. How many of you know how long you can go without any water at all? Three days. Okay, So that's why the three days is there. But regular intake of water, you can survive uh, much, much, much longer. And certainly most of us with good, solid Western bodies uh, can survive quite a long time, even though we think we can't. Now, it might be as little as one meal. And instead of having that meal, you don't go on to social media, you give that time to prayer. Give that time to God. It might be for one day. Of course, if you did that every week, if you fasted one day a week, that would be 52 in a year. It might be three days, it might be seven days, and so on. It's commonly understood that 40 days is the maximum. Again, if you think about Jesus, he went out into the desert for 40 days. Again, I would strongly suggest not going straight to a 40-day fast. That's just on water and so on. If you were thinking of going on a 40-day fast, I would strongly suggest that you talk to your doctor before you did that and talk to other, others that... Because you're going into a battleground for sure, and so you need those around you who are going to support you and stand with you. I'm quite upfront. I've never done a 40-day fast. I've done some other things I'll mention in a moment. Now, you might say, Mark, I could never possibly do this. Now, aside from medicine and needing to take, uh, have food for medicine at the moment, but you might say, Mark, I could never possibly do this. I want to tell you, I was one of those. All right? I used to quite freely and quite proudly announce to me, I couldn't possibly miss a meal. I get the shakes. Right? I do. I'm one of these people, little and often kind of people. My, my blood sugar starts, you know, in your hands. Starts, I couldn't possibly miss a meal. I used to tell everyone, fasting, pah, I'm not doing that. You know? That was me. I literally was me. I need to eat. Until somebody one day pointed out to me that actually, Mark, that's part of the point. That is part of the point. That you said, I couldn't possibly is the very challenge that God's saying, you couldn't possibly depend on me for one meal? And then they rammed it home a bit further by saying, can I just ask you how often, when you get busy, you miss a meal? Ah, well, in my case, not very often. Jackie will tell you. <laughs> I usually find some food somewhere. Um, but it's true. You get involved. How many of you get involved in something, you're busy and you miss a meal? It's gone quiet. See, part of the challenge is when you choose to intentionally miss a meal. You see, what happens is your brain immediately starts making you feel hungry because it's expecting to be fed. 
Right, medical aside for a moment, but you're expecting to be fed. You, you assu- the body assumes that you will be fed. So immediately your brain goes, hold on a minute, it's, uh, you've got to two o'clock and you haven't eaten yet. You need to, oh, I need to eat something. I'm, I'll never make it to tea time. How many of you said, I'll never make it to dinner? Whatever it is. Your brain starts to make you think you're more hungry than you actually are. You normally feed me at this time, is what happens. Yeah? My testimony is this, that once you get through, if you get into reading or worshipping, listening to a worship song, begin to pray, once you get through that initial feeding, it's like your stomach goes, oh, okay, you're not going to feed me, and it sort of leaves you alone for a while, um, at least. But even those pangs, those funny little pangs that our bodies are used to, and certainly our Western bodies, we're used to feeding ourselves. We probably don't realize that, you know, we're, we're normally eating meat. I know many of us are cutting down on meat, but we're eating meat very regularly in some form or other, many of us, and fish and so on. For many, many parts of the world, people might not ever eat meat. Or they might see a piece of meat once a month. Or once every three months. But we have an expectation that is built in. And it's part of that, of laying that down and turning to God and saying, no, I actually don't need that. I don't need that. I need you. I need you, Heavenly Father. You are more of a priority. Now these, I'm simplifying things. Please don't hear. I'm not wanting to belittle challenges. I'm not wanting to belittle challenges that people will have. But certainly for myself, over the years, I've, I've fasted a meal. That's something I've done quite often. But you have to then say, don't fill that time, that half an hour, as it were. I, I come to God with an intention. Half a day. So I might, I might do that. I might not wake up. I might wake up and not have breakfast. And by, you know, your tummy starts to rumble. But no, I'm going to give the morning to prayer. Maybe I'm going to go out to walk, uh, for a walk. Or I'm going to give the afternoon and the evening. The nighttime one is always a bit harder. So I'm not going to have lunch and the evening meal. I'm, not going, to do, I'm going to fast and, and through the night. And you can lie there with your tummy rumbling. But actually you can pray in the midst of the night. God's speaking using that. So I've done a meal. I've done half a day. I've done a day. I've done up to three days. I found that very hard, very challenging. At a particular time when I was doing that, I remember I was drinking a lot of tea and coffee at the time. I stopped tea and coffee, and of course, I was getting headaches. And these are things that you think about. If I had time, there's lots of practicalities. People want to talk more. I've got lots of background material uh, and, and personal experience that we can talk through this for. One of the things that I have done, and I just want to highlight, we've just got a few minutes left, One of the things that I have done is sometimes what's referred to as a Daniel or partial fast. I think this is quite significant. In the story of Daniel in chapter 10, he sees the vision of a man and a great war. And it says, uh, verse 2, At that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. I'm not necessarily talking about fasting from washing today, but that may be something God wants to speak to you about. Talk to your husband or wife before you do that one. There's a simplicity. 
cutting out all the extras, the cakes, the biscuits, the sweets, the alcohol, etc., 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 chocolate, yes, even chocolate, (laughs) just vegetables and water. Of course, it's not the first time that Daniel's done that, is it? Right at the start, he and his friends taken into exile. They're picked out to be trained up. And as part of it, in uh, chapter 1, verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. This would have been luxury food, yeah? Verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. The official was a bit worried about the effect of this on Daniel. He would, if he looks skinny and rough, um, the king, he's going to get into trouble with the king. So Daniel says, verse 12, Test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of these young men who eat the royal food and, drink, um, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were, uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And I, that is something that I have done over actually once or twice over quite a period of time like a Daniel fast, just completely simplify what I'm eating and drinking. Cut out all of those things in order to bring a real focus to God. Now, of course, it does affect you. It does in terms of uh, headaches and all those other kinds of things because you realize how dependent and reliant you are on all those extras. And when you really pare it down to the basics, but you do it not for a health benefit, not to lose weight. I'm not talking about that. I think you would lose weight, and it would be healthy, by the way. But actually, it's that I might give attention to God. Okay? So I I am aware that there are some who need to eat in order uh, to take medication and so on. That's perfectly fine. There are some who actually find eating a real struggle and actually eating is not the thing that God is wanting to speak to you about because actually you need to be eating regularly and consistently. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm talking about here is about putting God first. About relying and being dependent upon him because Daniel proved that over and over again. Yes, there are other things from food, such as TV, internet, our phones, video games, social media, even sexual intimacy when the husband and wife agree together on that. Those are all things that you can fast from, take a choice, a constant, deliberate uh, decision about. And for some of you, some of those things will be a very real challenge. Our phones, I think, particularly are one of them, aren't they? You see, if you would say about anything, about any of the things I've just listed, I couldn't possibly, then I would invite you to consider that's the very thing, to consider surrendering to God. To direct, as I said in that quote earlier, to direct your hunger towards God and to discover the depth of encounter that flows as a consequence. I couldn't possibly. What's the, what's the completion of that sentence? Can you give that to God? What I do want to say to some of you 
is don't use the TV or the internet as an excuse for not fasting from food and drink. Because I know what that's like. Ah, I'm a bit busy at the moment. I need to be eating, whatever. Um, But I won't look at my phone for an hour or two. That's not what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about. And I know how easy it is to use some other thing than food and drink as an excuse for not fasting in the way that I've been commending to you. Now, as I said, if we had time, there are some physical effects to fasting, particularly if you get into significant fasting. Happy to chat about that. Um, I do just want to say to you, we need to think very carefully about our children that are growing, encouraging them to fast. That We need to be careful with that particularly with them growing. I think there are ways we can lead our children into the spiritual disciplines, but we just need to do that with care and caution. Um, And there are some very good tips if you do get into a bigger fast, a much longer fast, about how you break that fast and and, and do it. And uh, half the room is full of doctors anyway, so uh, they they can help you. Let me invite you to stand. Again, it's been very very practical, but I hope you've heard the heart of God's This is not about abusing your mind or your body. I would say to you, start small, but start. If it's not something you've ever done, start. Try missing a meal. Spend time with God instead. Maybe a day a week with water only. Don't do it to impress others. It's not that you shouldn't tell anyone, but keep it on a need to know. If you break you're fast and you think, oh, I can't do this. You give in in a moment of weakness. I want to say we're under grace. We have a God of grace who delights, who wants to know our hearts and he wants us to know his heart. So let's not fall into legalism. Let's focus on intimacy with God, not human performance. It's about putting him first before any other appetite. He's made us. He created us. We need water. We need food. But even more than that, we need him. We need to know him, to walk with him and to be with him. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for this living relationship that we have with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you. I pray, Lord, today for those you've spoken to about a determination to put you first again. Lord, I pray where there are those things in our lives where I couldn't possibly, by your grace, by your strength, in your mercy, would you help us. Even now, we come to you. We thank you that you're for us. Lord, we thank you that you're not saying, I will love you better I will save you more if you do these things. Lord, we are utterly loved and utterly saved because of your grace. We thank you for that. But Lord, we we want to come with determination. We want to cry to you for those who are lost. We want want to come to you for our nation. We want to to come to you for this town. Lord, we, we know that we want to grow in our understanding of you and hearing your voice for ourselves. So we pray, Holy Spirit, let these things be deposited deep within us, and help us to respond as you speak to us. We give you this day and this week, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.